It's time to run the pass. My guest today is Omar Flores. He is the chef and owner of Whistle Britches and Muchacho in Dallas, Texas, two of his restaurants, and he's continuing to expand. He's a good friend of mine. We're both from the same hometown in El Paso, Texas, which uh, seems to be the theme lately, but it seems like a lot of good chefs are coming out of there. So I know Omar's got a lot of things working up in this show. Uh, You know, we're going to kind of get into his history, you know, going to the CIA, what it was like working in Abacus's Kitchen under Kent Rathburn. And, you know, all the new exciting projects that he's got going on with Muchacho and Whistle Bridges. So without further ado, Omar Flores. Omar, it's good to have you on. How are you doing today, my man? Thanks, Andre. I'm doing good, man. I can't complain. How's the weather out there in Dallas right now? Uh, hot and sticky, man. So summer's definitely on its way. Yeah, good. It's, uh, that, that means business is coming back and hopefully viruses are dying. Yeah, that's sort of looking that way. Things have been really, really good this past month and... Um, Yeah, we can't complain, man. We've been blessed. So for people that don't know you, can you give us just a little bit of background about how you started cooking and just kind of take us through your career? Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up in El Paso. Both my parents were were, were great cooks. My my father was a lifelong chef, cook, and we owned restaurants from from the, you know, from the second, you know, from the second I was born to, uh, he recently retired probably, I guess, probably 10 years ago, but we've always had a restaurant in our family. So, you know, I kind of grew up in the industry and I've always been in and around the business. Are those restaurants still open in El Paso? No, no. My dad retired probably 10 years ago and, um, uh, you know, sadly we closed them, unfortunately. But, you know, they were real kind of, you know, nothing, nothing major, kind of real small Mexican restaurants. You know, I wouldn't say anything like what, you know, what I have today, I would not in the same level, just kind of, you know, I would say small hole, holes in the wall that are serving kind of real authentic kind of a northern Chihuahua Mexican food. Got it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so I've had a couple of guests from El Paso. So I had Rico Torres on mm-hmm. um, yeah. recently and uh, we were talking about, you know, kind of the food culture in El Paso. And I think it's one thing that people don't realize I'm, I'm lately, I feel like I'm the El Paso uh, food culture cheerleader, but I feel like yeah. El Paso might have one of the best food cultures in the country outside of like a New Orleans or, or you know, maybe a Boston or something like that. And the reason I believe that is because you could recognize El Paso food no matter where you are in the, in the United States. If you go there, it's, it has sure, a very yeah. distinct style of Mexican cooking. It's not just, you know, what everyone thinks of. Yeah. And there's kind of like a revolution going on. There's a lot of uh, young Mexican chefs opening kind of progressive uh, Mexican restaurants in El Paso, which is really good to see. Um, I was there a few mm-hmm. weeks ago and I enjoyed a couple of them. So, and it's growing quite a bit, man. You know, they're, they're redoing all the downtown, which, which is nice. And um, it's nice to see that kind of activity going on in El Paso. I'll tell you what, here, here in Austin, there's a food truck. It's called El Perrito. And I'm going to give them a shout out. Nice. But they do, you know, the Chico's Tacos style um, oh, the ones drowning in the tomato sauce. <laughs> yeah, it's good, but they, yeah, but they also have that that the hot dog, the El Paso style Chico Tacos hot dog. Oh delicious. yeah, for sure. I was there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there's this really great um, hot dog place off like it's on the corner of uh, Salmon Mesa. It's this guy he sets up in like a little uh, little mobile food truck, and he does these amazing like uh, Chihuahua style foot long hot dogs, man. And I mean they're incredible. You know, you get heartburn for like two days, man, but they're worth it. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. I got to check that out next time I'm there. Yeah. But so, you know, getting back to you and your career, you know, you decided to you know, clearly follow in your family's footsteps. Uh, you got into cooking. You went to the CIA. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I kind of when I was younger, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if I want to cook. I almost went into the military at one point. I ended up, you know, I went to college. I went to MSU and I studied hotel restaurant management. So I wanted to be in the business, um, but I wasn't mm-hmm. sure I wanted to be in the kitchen at that point. But, you know, the whole time I was kind of working in restaurants and I was working as a cook, 
And, uh, you know, I graduated from college, but at, at that point I knew that I wanted to, to pursue, you know, the business because I mean, I, I loved what I was doing, even as a, a young line cook. So I had a professor there, kind of, he went to CIA and he kind of, he kind of urged me to go there and uh, I went and checked out the campus and, and, and fell in love with New York and all that. So enrolled and, uh, you know, spent, spent a good about four years up there and graduated and it was a good experience. And for people that don't know what we're talking about, CIA, mm -hmm. uh, not Central Intelligence uh, Culinary Institute. No, no. They kind of treat it that um, way, but it's not, it's not the same. No. Well, I'll tell you. It's, uh, it's, it's the Culinary Institute of America. It's, it's a great school. They, they were founded in Hyde Park in uh, 1946. You know, if you have a chance to go up there, it's, I mean, it's a gorgeous camp. I'm sure you've been, right? It's a, it's a gorgeous uh, campus. Yeah, it's in Hyde Park. You know, during the springtime, it's probably one of the most, most beautiful areas in, in New York. So. I honestly don't think that you could not go to the CIA. And not be inspired about cooking. I mean, that, that school has has everything, you know, from their dining hall on campus to, yeah, um, sure. you know, the gift shop, all the great chefs that they have as instructors there. I mean, you're yeah. just fully immersed in the world of culinary that as a young, eager future chef, mm -hmm. if you go there, I, I think like you're, you should come out with a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit ahead of everyone else, I think. Yeah. And that's kind of get you, you know, you go up there and you see, it and it seems so glamorous and you, know, you get up there, they have the food dining halls, all the great chefs and, uh, and you're kind of immersed in that for, for, for two years. And it's a, it's a great program if, if you, you know, if you go in there and you actually want to do the program. I was a little bit older when I went. I was already, I think, 22. And I was going on my own dime. So it was a different different story for myself compared to the other people. There's a lot of younger kids that didn't take it too seriously. But, you know, when I was up there, I was really kind of dedicated to, to learn as much as I could and, and uh, do extracurricular stuff as much as I could, man. So I, I think I definitely got my dime's worth when I went up there. Mm -hmm. So after that, did you move to Dallas and start working here directly under under uh, Chef Kent at Abacus? Um, so actually, I stayed in New York for a little bit. I worked for a couple mm -hmm. of years, and I was kind of a you know I was kind of a bum. I was kind of staying with a friend of mine, and I was kind of doing I was doing some staging, and I was working in restaurants here and there. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Not a whole lot of a huge experience, but you know I got to work in some good restaurants and 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 uh, and stage and whatnot. Long story short, I had an ex girlfriend. I moved to Dallas. We all know that story, right? So I moved mm -hmm. for a girl and, uh, you know, I met, uh, I met Trey, uh, you know, Trey Wilcox and Chef Kent, you know, and they gave me the opportunity over at, at Abacus and it was great, man. I was there for almost five years. It was, it was, a, you know, back in the day, I think, you know, 2006, I believe it was you know, one of the you know, hottest restaurants in town and it was a, a great place to work, a great place to learn. You know, there was a lot of great chefs there, a lot of good cooks coming through, you know, Trey Wilcox, Chef, uh, Chef, Chef Rathbund. And I uh, mm -hmm. got to work with some great people that I still kind of, you know, I still, Still keep in touch with this day. So, and people that don't know Abacus back in you know 2006 era, I mean, mm -hmm. you have I, I like to say you know Dallas has three chef kings of uh, of culinary. That would be you know Dean Faring, Stephen Piles, and Kent Rathburn. I, th I think would be the yeah. third. Um, and being sure. in Abacus at that time, so many great chefs, so much talent was going going through those kitchens. I'm sure yeah. that uh, I'm sure that the environment was intense back then. Yeah, it was it was an exciting time, man. I mean, there was, you know, the restaurants were busy. There was uh, obviously no pandemic going on, which was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, yeah. it was it was, uh, it was an exciting time. And the restaurants uh, were, were jam packed every night, man. I mean, people were spending money and it was a different, like a different, different vibe uh, back then, man, you know, in 2006. It was just, it was a fun place to work, which is why I stayed for so long. I was there, uh, you know, I started off as a, as a, as a butcher and I kind of moved my way up to executive sous chef before I left. So yeah, I couldn't say enough good things about it, man. Like, I mean, it was, it was a great experience. I think the first time that I, I had your food was when you were at Driftwood. I had mm -hmm. gone there with a couple yeah. of my chefs and you were the chef there at the time. 
I, th I think this is the time in Dallas. So I want to say this is what probably like 2010, 2011. If I'm not yeah, around that. Yeah, around that time. That's correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. So you know, I remember I went with a couple of my chefs because you know you were on the radar. Everyone's like talking about driftwood and what you're doing there. Yeah. We're all getting excited. And uh, I remember I went and I had an octopus dish. I don't remember everything about the octopus dish, but I just remember I was like, okay, this this food's legit. I, it's, it's really good. How much of it am I stealing for my own? Uh, <laughs> it was it was it was pretty great. And you know, driftwood. I know I know you weren't there for a long time, but you know, during your time there, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, you received some great accolades there, right? I did. I, I received a lot of uh, great local accolades, you know, pretty much everything Dallas has to offer uh, as far as Dallas mm -hmm. was concerned. You know, it was a fun restaurant for me because, you know, I thought Dallas kind of lacked with, uh, with seafood. You know, go, you know, living in New York for that long, you know, seafood is so readily available. You can go to the market and you can pick up whatever you want. You know, and to come to Dallas, I, I really miss that. You know, and I had, uh, I had this opportunity to uh, just, you know, to do a tryout for the seafood restaurant. And I jumped on it right away because I knew... Dallas needs like a, a really cool kind of innovative seafood restaurant, not not just that, you know, you know, steakhouse seafood, you know, prototype, but just like, mm -hmm. a, a, you know, a restaurant dedicated only to only seafood, man. So um, I jumped on that opportunity and, you know, they say I blew the other guys out of the water and I, I, it was an exciting time for me because I had to do my, I got to do my own food. I was kind of doing an abacus here and there. I was adding some stuff to the menu, but actually having my own restaurant and, and being at the helm of a restaurant was, uh, was exciting for me. And I had to do the food that I wanted to do. It was a cool time, man. And, and, and people received, it was received well, which was, I wouldn't say surprising to me, but it was, uh, it was nice to, nice to hear. It's nice to feel when you have your first chef job and, and people, uh, people enjoy it. So it's good. Yeah. It's crazy what you said. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to do my own food. It's like every yeah. chef, just can't wait to do their own food. But you, sure. a lot of people, they want, they want to do their own food when they're not ready to do their own food. Clearly, that's, when you got yeah, to Driftwood, you were ready. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, I had enough experience and I grew up with food. And uh, I don't know, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but people kind of said I had an innate ability to cook, man. And mm -hmm. I think that comes from just growing up, you know, with a family that we, you know, we cooked every meal in the house, man. Like, we didn't go out to eat. If we went out to eat, it was like maybe red lobster, like on a special occasion, you know, back in El Paso. But mm -hmm. and that was it. You know, every meal was home cooked. Uh, I mean, my mother made me meal way up until high school you know, to take to school. <laughs> so I definitely grew up different from a lot of people nowadays, man, where everything is kind of prepackaged and frozen and all that. And I think you can probably understand that too, growing up in kind of a Mexican household, man. Yeah. You know, your mother wants to make everything for you. Mm -hmm. So I did. interesting time. I think that's why I think you're seeing a lot of great chefs coming out of El Paso is because there's mm -hmm. that, that tied to family eating together, family cooking together, knowing what things taste like, just Sure. You know, understanding ingredients, understanding what it takes to be in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think you start to develop a little passion. You know, moving forward, you went on, you opened up this Spanish restaurant at Trinity Groves. Yeah. And that was kind of the thing with, uh, you know, going to New York and spending some time in the city. And uh, I love going to Casa Mono, man. It was just an incredible place back in the day and still is. And I love the tapas they did there. They were a little bit different. They weren't so traditional, but they were they were just so well done. And um, mm -hmm. coming to Dallas, there wasn't a whole lot of Spanish food. And uh, I think it's still a little bit misunderstood in Dallas. I think most of the time people walk into a Spanish restaurant and they expect you know chips and salsa. So I don't I don't I don't think we're I don't think we're quite there yet, man. But um, it's a it different was, kind of Spanish. A, yeah, exactly. You know, we used to have you know we used to have like a quesos and you know quesos and embudidos. You know, the Spanish you know the cured meats and all that and. People would walk in, they think, okay, so, so these are all different kinds of dips? What's going on here? I'm like, no, that's not how it works, man. 
Some, someone in Spain is rolling in their grave right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. they don't, a lot of people don't realize it's a different country. Oh, yeah, Spanish. You mean, what, what part of Mexico is that? Yeah, not really. <laughs> That's hilarious. So be, being in Casa Rubia, so for people that don't know, this Trinity Groves was like this culinary incubator project. It was, yeah. Yeah, so how did you, how did you get selected to go in there? Was it a, a, a selection so, process? You know, it was an interesting project for us. You know, I had to, I had a partner um, at, at Driftwood, and he got introduced to somebody that was, uh, I guess they were, they were seeking tenants over at Trinity Groves. And, um, you know, we kind of talked about it, and, and I, I had always wanted to open a Spanish restaurant in town. I was like, well, this is a good opportunity. You know, it's a, and it was. It was a good opportunity because you have to, you know, for a young, a young chef, you can go in there, open a restaurant on somebody else's dime. You know, the deal isn't necessarily so great, but at that point, you know, in my career, I was, was so young, I, I wasn't really concerned. I didn't know much about P&Ls or, or the numbers and all that. So I was like, well, I got something mm-hmm. open a restaurant, somebody's going to pay for it all. So to me, it was a no-brainer. You know, so we did a couple tastings and all that, and we got selected, and, and uh, we opened up Costa Rubia, which was kind of a, my take of kind of a, you know, I would say, we called it a modern Spanish cuisine, but it was a... Um, you know, a lot of the classics, not necessarily reinvented, but just kind of like a kind of a little modern twist on them. And so then you decided to branch out, right? Or when you left to open up Whistle Bridges, and for people that don't know what Whistle Bridges is, can you can you just kind of give us a, a, a brief overview of what that, that restaurant sure, is? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, Casa Rubia was, you know, was was there. We were, we were successful. You know, we had, uh, you know, good accolades, good write-ups and all that. But like I said, you know, the, the deal wasn't, wasn't really financially, you know, I guess great for, for the restaurateur. Well, you know, the way they kind of structured it, you know, and I, I don't want to get too much into it, but the way they kind of structured it, it's like it, it made it very difficult to, to make to make money. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily the best deal for the for the uh, owner operator, you know, but at that point, like I said, I was I was a, I was pretty young. Uh, I was younger and I, I wasn't necessarily concerned on, on making a ton of money. I wanted to make a name for myself. So, you know, it was it was a no brainer for me. And then at that point I had. um uh, another friend in town, uh, kind of a, a family friend uh, that was in the restaurant business. We always want to do a project together. We owned open. I, I wanted to open a Mexican restaurant at that point. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, I want to do, you know, when I was younger, I was like, well, the last thing I want to do is, is Mexican food. You know, like this stuff. Like mm-hmm. I grew up eating it, man. Like I'm, I'm tired of eating. I'm tired of cooking it, man. Like I don't, I don't want anything to do with this shit. And then when I got older, you know, it's the stuff that I really missed, man. Like I missed the stuff from El Paso and I, I missed you know, the homemade tortillas and, and homemade flour tortillas and Mexican food, that stuff that, that stuff that I craved after being in Dallas for like, for, you know, for six, seven years. I'm like, man, this is a, uh, this is stuff that, that uh, I grew up eating. And, uh, you know, and even when I went back to El Paso, like it's all I wanted to eat. I was like, man, I want to come back to El Paso and I want to eat nothing but Mexican food for the next you know, three or four days. So, you know, now at that point in my career, I was like, well, you know, I want to kind of go back to my roots a little bit. I want to open a Mexican restaurant. Well, we were kind of looking around for a location and we found a location in, in far north Dallas, but I didn't feel it was the right fit for what I wanted to do. And I felt for the neighborhood, they kind of needed some sort of, you know, some sort of fast casual kind of chicken concept. So uh, we ended up on, on Whistlebridges, which is kind of like this, um, you know, kind of funky, what's the kind of Southern chicken concept. We do everything from, you know, homemade biscuits to you know, homemade fried chicken pies, uh, things of that nature. And it was well received. You know, we did pretty well with it. You know, we, we, we opened with, you know, hour long lines. And uh, to be honest, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing then. I mean, I, I cooked Southern food very limited. I, I was a trained chef, but as far as cooking that kind of food and, and cooking it in that volume it was all new to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, we definitely, it was definitely one of the toughest restaurants I've ever opened because just the, the volume was uh, not what I was used to. I was used to serving, hey, we're going to serve, 
you know, you have a reservation list. This is what you're going to serve tonight. This is what you're going to do. We opened up Whistle and it was just completely out the door. I mean, there was no reservation system. It was just people just showing up and showing up and showing up. So it was definitely uh, the most challenging restaurant I've ever opened. Mm. So, what, what were yeah. some of the big lessons that you learned there? Well, you know, at, at, at one point I was trying to cook everything to order, you know, the mm-hmm. fried chicken and whatnot. And fried chicken takes a long time to cook. I mean, you take bone and chicken, it takes, you know, 13, Are you using pressure fryers? Yeah, we were at one point. So we were using pressure mm-hmm. fryers. And, and, you know, once you close that lid on that pressure fryer, you can't add anything else, you know? Right. So, you know, you, let's, let's say you get, you know, let's say you get one order in, you know, you throw in a couple extra, uh, you know, by that time, you know, 10 more orders roll in. And, you know, they're going to be waiting 35, 40 minutes for, you know, for their, for their meal. And I mean, they don't want to wait that long, obviously. <laughs> I mean, nobody does. So it yeah. was a, definitely, it was a learning curve and, um, you know, trying to do everything as all the minute as possible, which was, you know, kind of how I was trained. You know, you want to do everything all the minute, everything to order. Hey, the biscuits, you know, we want to make sure the biscuits are as fresh as possible. We want to, you know, put them in every, every half an hour or so. So, you know, just kind of learning through the, uh, you know, the ups and downs of a new business and a new concept and was, uh, it was an eye opener for me. So it took me about, you know, four or five months to kind of really, kind of really get it, you know, tuned where I thought it was a good operating business. It mm. was definitely rocky to begin with. Man. Got it. So now you have what, two Whistle Bridges locations currently? Yeah, two. And we're working on a third one in, in South Lake. We have the Muchacho concept, which is our, our Tex-Mex concept, uh, one in Dallas, and we're working on one in South Lake as well. So clearly the concepts that you've created are scalable. Yes. And it's taken me a long time to get to that point. I, I, you know, for a long time, I, you know, I looked at the business as from a chef size, you know, and it hasn't mm-hmm. been probably, I guess, in the past five years, I've kind of, I'm kind of running it more like a business and more like a sh- than, than a chef, if I could say that. Got it. Right. No, no, that, that that's good, and I think that's yeah. I think I think that's an interesting thing because uh, mm-hmm. sometimes chefs design food um, mm-hmm. for themselves, but they don't necessarily design to sell it. All right, they, sure. they design it more to be interesting and and create conversation sure. and and jump on a yeah. trend. But a lot of people don't want to eat it. They just you know it's it's more of like hey, yeah. there's this is something I created. Yeah, and I think I mean I think when you get older and if you have your own business and you know you have that bottom line that P and L and you're looking at it every month and you know that P and L affects you and your family and and also your partners and you're more uh, you're more attuned to what you're going to put on the menu. You know you know you have to be conscious of all that and how it's going to be executed and if it's going to be executed well and. And also, if you can make money off of it, I and mean, especially, you know, during during these times, you know, with COVID and all the added costs and all that, it's, uh, you know, it only makes it, you know, kind of more challenging. But Yeah, it's funny. Usually when you're talking to a young, uh, a young cook or maybe someone right out of culinary school, you know, I'm doing yeah. job interviews or whatnot, I say, what do you want to do? I, say, I want to open up my own restaurant. For people that don't know, that's probably one of the hardest things you could do in this industry is opening up restaurants. I mean, would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, it's opening a restaurant is, is uh, no joke. Not only financially, but I mean, just, uh, you know, mentally, it's mentally draining and, you know, uh, financially draining too. You have to have, I mean, you have to have deep pockets, man. I mean, you have to cover, you know, think you open a restaurant and you have to cover not only, you know, you know, three, four months of payroll, but, you know, all the expenses that come with opening a restaurant, which, uh, which add up, I mean, super quick. And so... Um, you know, definitely a, lo- a learning thing for me when I first opened my own restaurant, you know, luckily my first one that I actually opened, uh, I did it on somebody else's dime, <laughs> which, which is kind of bad to say, but it was, but you know, it was, uh, it was still, was, I learned a lot from it. You know, I learned a lot on, on uh, what to do, what not to do. So, you know, if I, if I had to give any advice to a young chef, I was like, Hey, don't use your own money. Man. You know, try to, you know, if you're a talented young person, you know, try to find somebody else to invest because you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Going with a good business partner that that understands the business. Um, yeah, and sure. be willing to have those tough conversations, right? Just saying, hey, yeah. this, this is a very cool dish, but it's not selling. 
it's not worth it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get your ego hurt a lot, man. But that's that's part of the part of the business, man. I mean, you know, if something doesn't sell or something's not moving, it's just you don't look back, man. You move forward. So, in in retrospect, if you had to give yourself advice looking back on you know the early the early start of Whistle Bridges oh. and 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 Casa Rubia, what kind of things would you say to yourself, knowing what you know now? I think one thing you know, one thing that I know now that I didn't you know I didn't really necessarily if I cared about then or I didn't really was concerned about was was the numbers, man. Was hey, you know. I want to do cool food and I want to make sure it looks cool and play tastes good, but it's got to be profitable at the same point, man. And mm-hmm. that's kind of goes, goes back to what I was saying. Like you got to think, you know, business, not just as a chef, but as a, as a business owner. And, uh, you know, I guess back then I was a little bit, you know, a little bit selfish and you know, I was more concerned with myself and, you know, my partners, but you know, I, I guess that comes with growing older and getting older, man, you know, growing up. Was that a hard transition for you? Cause I mean, you know, for people that don't know, I know you've received, um, almost every award that someone could want to win. Um, I know you have a couple of James Beard nominations as well. Um, so yeah. here, here you are as like one of the, the most uh, hot chefs uh, for several years in Dallas and, you know, one of the trendiest and everyone's watching your every move. And then at a certain point, now you're making the decision to, you know, to maybe focus on what's selling on the business side. Was that a tough transition mentally? Yeah, for sure, man. I'm, I'm definitely not one of the hottest chefs in Dallas anymore, <laughs> you know, man. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I've got, I'm going to have... <laughs> you're, still, you're still one of the hottest chefs in Dallas. Well, you Successful know, I'm, I'm restaurants. Still, I would say I'm still relevant, you know. I'm, I'm still in the business and I'm still around, but, you know, it's a tough transition yeah. on your ego, obviously. You know, I, mean, I try to stay pretty humble, but at the same time, it's nice to have those, you know, recognitions and those accolades and all that, man. But I wouldn't go back, man, because, I mean, now I have... You know, I'm going to have five businesses, you know, the three that I have are, are very successful. And, uh, mm. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, man, it's, what are we in this for? I mean, we're in this, you know, I'm going cause we love, you know, the business and I do, and I have passion for it, but I mean, it's to earn a living, man. And mm. if you're, if you're not earning a living, if you know, you're, you know, if you're playing and, and, and not making money, I mean, what's, what's the point, you know, you're going to go from job to job and, and nobody's going to want to hire you as a chef at some point because you don't make good financial decisions. So. It was a, you know, and that's a lesson that I've, that I've learned. And it's, it's, it's humbling to kind of take a look and take a step back and be like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't do this because you know we're going to lose money on it. Right. Hey, this is a cool dish, but it's not really executable, you know, a hundred times a night or 20 times a night or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would say, you know, now the way I run my business is, you know, I, I don't think about just myself. I think about who's cooking the food, man, and who's going to execute mm-hmm. it and, you know, who's going to do it, you know, the 30, 40 times a night and make sure it comes out the same every time, man. Not just mm-hmm. doing one or two cool dishes to make it look good. So let's talk about just Muchacha really quick. So you've been open for about a yeah. year. Yeah, you so opened we, we during actually, the pandemic, right? No, no. We actually opened in, uh, in November of uh, 2019. Um, okay. So we were open probably a good three, four months before the pandemic hit. We opened in a great area right there, Preston Plaza off the Northwest Highway in Preston. So a great prime, neighborhood. Prime real estate, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great location, and we 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 fought our ass off to get that location. I mean, I did probably multiple multiple tastings, and there's everybody that wanted that location because it's such a good location. But you know, we we were blessed enough to get it, opened it, and uh, you know, we to be honest, it's it's been 100% busy the whole the whole time. Even during the pandemic, you know, there was like about a month, month and a half, things were pretty rocky, and we we didn't know what was going to happen. But you know, once we started doing to goes and and all that, man, I mean, uh, the neighborhood supported us, and Dallas has supported us, so can't complain. So when when you uh, went through the pandemic, you started doing to go, and I'm sure you probably pivoted a little bit what your business model is. Has anything sure. stuck? Um, that's now just part of business forever. Um, so you know the obviously the drinks to go, man. You know which is great for us. Mm-hmm. And then the margaritas to go because mm-hmm. I think you know that neighborhood 
um, they love the margaritas, man. So, you know, we do, uh, you know, uh, court, court margaritas, half gallon margaritas, single margaritas to go with the purchase of food, obviously. And I think the, uh, what is it? The QR code menus, you know, at first I was like really hesitant. I was like, man, I don't want to do QR codes. I think it's so stupid. I love the menus and the feel, but now like after doing it for a year, I'm like, I don't want to go back. I mean, it's so much easier. Yeah. You want to change something on menu, you know, you're not mm-hmm. spending all this money on, on, on paper. You're not sanitizing menus. It's actually, I, I think it's great. I and mean, some people hate it, but I think it's cool. No, I, I think as a business operator, I, I personally love it because like you said, you don't have all the paper costs associated with it. If you're sure. 86 something or for people don't know what that means, that's, yeah. you're out of an item, you know, yeah, you it just pull it, off. pull it off. Yeah, pull it off. Pull it off. Yeah. yeah, you're much more flexible and, and nimble as a you know as a restaurant tour. So yeah, I think I love the QR code menus. I think they're here to stay. I think a lot of a lot of the things that we learned don't, during COVID are now part of you know the restaurant DNA moving forward. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we, and we definitely you know it was it was a challenging time. I think for everybody in, in the business. I mean, uh, it was ups and downs every week, man. From you know from being closed, you know, twenty five percent, fifty percent to mm-hmm. you know the closing closing due to infections. And I mean, it was a uh, Definitely the, one of the most challenging years of my career for sure, man. I mean, mm-hmm. and we, and we kind of, you know, we, and we worked through it, you know, we never, we rarely closed the restaurant, you know, we, we get to go the whole time. We opened up as soon as we could. And I think we came out a lot healthier and a lot, you know, a lot more stable company than we, we went in, to be honest. And for people that don't know, t- tell us about Muchacho, you know, what style of, of food is it um, and what makes it unique to, to you? Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a Tex-Mex restaurant. So we have kind of the, you mm-hmm. know, all the Tex-Mex staples as far as like queso and, and, uh, you know, fajitas and things of that nature. I kind of put like, you know, my spin on it as far as being, you know, a little bit you know, kind of El Paso food, man. So, you know, we've got, we've got some great flautas, we've got some great sopas, you know, everything kind of grilled over mesquite, which is, you know, one of my favorite restaurants in El Paso is this place called, um, called Cattleman's out in Fabens, Texas. It's actually mm-hmm. in El Paso, but it's in Fabens. But still to my day, I, I love going to that place. They have the best steak. They cook everything over like a, a mesquite grill. Um, so I kind of want to bring that and make sure we had everything, you know, everything from our octopus fajitas to our steak fajitas to our chicken fajitas, um, just all cooked over mesquite, mm. which kind of brings that real authentic kind of, a, you know, kind of Texas flavor. And uh, mm-hmm. really great, really great flour tortillas. I, I love corn tortillas as much as the next person. And there's a lot of um, people that make great corn tortillas in, in town and all around Texas. Uh, but I feel that the, the flour tortilla doesn't get enough respect. So, so you know, we decided, hey, we're not going to make our corn. We're going to get our corn from a really great local purveyor, but we're going to make our flour in-house. And that's what we did, man. And um, and uh, I think it makes all the difference, I think, with the, with the queso and, and with the, the flautas. And, I'm sorry, with the fajitas and all that. So Yeah, for people that don't know, if, you, if you're not from El Paso, there's a lot of bur- – I think – I feel like El Paso has more burrito shops than taco shops. Um, they do, yeah. And, you know, sure. flour tortillas, flour tortillas are everywhere. And I was talking with uh, Alan Delgado uh, up in New York a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. We we're talking about the El Paso food and how when I first had menudo somewhere else other than El Paso, I was like, "Where's right. the bread? Why, why are you serving it to me with yeah, tortillas?" Yeah, there's a bolillo, what, man, for sure. Right? <laughs> now, what is what is this? It threw me off a little bit because there is, it is very unique to that city. Yeah, so like you know the bolillo roll, man. You always get served with the menudo or the pozole, man. That's uh, definitely mm-hmm. one of my favorites, man. I mean, for sure, you don't really get that in town. Yeah, El Paso food definitely has some soul to it. I I can't wait for my next trip. Well, anyway, chef. Yeah, you know um, I was there a couple weeks ago. It was great, man. You definitely go back. There's a I visited a couple of good taco places. Um, you know, Alemi's great. There's a place called the uh, Taconeta, which is really outstanding. They're doing like all their fresh tortillas and all that, and really simple concept. It's just like a, you know, a counter service and all that, but really well done. So we have one muchacho, two whistle britches, and then what, what's coming up next? So, um, so we're working on those two projects in Southlake. And then, um, 
I'm working on this concept, kind of like a um, tacos al carbon concept. Um, mm -hmm. Also, pollo, pollo al carbon, um, in kind of a bar mm -hmm. setting. So, a larger bar setting, you know, lots of tequila, mezcal, margaritas. I would say kind of a limited menu. We're still working on that. We need to find the right location. I'm going to kind of finalize the, the concept and all that. But that's kind of, that's my next project, I think. I know it sounds like you found the Midas touch, Omar. <laughs> Everything you're touching right now is like, it's a, it's a winner. I don't know about that, man. But we're definitely, you know, we're, we're working to kind of keep, as a small group, you know, it's myself and two of the partners. And we're all kind of young and motivated, man. So well, I say young. Mm -hmm. I'll be 41 this year, but I still feel young, so. Good. So what, what are some of your favorite spots to go to in Dallas that are not your own for people that, uh, that are in the city? Um, where, where, where are you going right now to get your, uh, to get your, your dinner on or lunch brunch? Yeah. You know, with two kids, it's hard to get out, man, to be honest. It's uh, and there's, and there's a lot of great restaurants in town. I try to visit as many as I can, you know, with two young kids, it's almost impossible to get out. Usually I sneak away and try to check out uh, local places. There's a, there's a cool place called Tacos Chilangos off of, uh, off of, uh, close to my house. It's off of uh, Harry Hines. Yeah. Harry Hines. They do great tacos al pastor. Did you say tacos chilangos? Uh, great, it's called tacos chilangos. Yeah. Interesting That's name. A, yeah. It's a cool place. Yeah. Yeah. They do, Mexico city tacos. Yeah, exactly. They do, they do like, they do like the legit pastor tacos pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a dumpling place close to my house in Irving called uh, Fortune House. They do the uh, the soup dumplings, which are some mm. of the best I've had. What else, man? I go to a couple like local haunts, man. There's like a little sushi place close to Whistle Bridges called Sushi Yokohama. Mm -hmm. um, the guy is from, the guy, Korean guy, and he's got like a, a little army of Korean dudes. Man, they uh, I mean they knock out some of the best sushi in town that I think is the most affordably priced and and the best quality, man. So I think Dallas has some severely underrated Asian food. Um, I don't know oh, if people yeah, realize how, how good the food is uh, in Dallas when it comes to Asian. It's it's severely yeah. underrated. Some of the Szechuan the Szechuan food here in town is I mean it's better than the stuff myself I had in New York for sure, man. We have like really great uh, really great Asian food here, man. So we're we're definitely lucky in that aspect. All right, well, Omar, thank you so much for being with us. I, I appreciate your time. It's always good to speak to you. Uh, congratulations yeah, you, on, you, on all the success. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get together again soon. But uh, thank you so much, Omar. Yeah, next time you're in Dallas, please stop and chat, man. I'd love to I'd love to serve you and love to have a cocktail with you again. Yeah, I, I definitely will. I, I need to plan a trip just to do that because I would love to do that for sure. Sounds good. All right, man. take care, Omar.